Hello there and welcome. From the Bray Seafront, south of Dublin, next to the Carousel, this is Living Large and Hard, Memories of Ireland. So sit back, get comfortable, cop on to yourself, you tick fucking bastards, and enjoy. Because here we go. Hey there. So as you heard Mick tell you there from Bray, south of Dublin. This is Memories of Ireland, and this is part two of the boat section. There's a plane section, a car section. There's going to be a pub section. If you listen to Boats Part 1, you heard that there's going to be two parts to this. Uh, In reality, there's going to be three because there's more to talk about than I had first anticipated. I didn't want to just go on and on and on forever, which, you know, sometimes it seems I do. But thank you for hanging in when I do. Really appreciate it. Appreciate all your listening. Really do. I like the comments when they come in. And I would appreciate any comments if you don't like what I do. Before you go away for good, if you could tell me why you didn't like it, I would appreciate that as well to make it better for those who do like what I do. At least somewhat. And you can get a hold of me, shit for brains, X-I-T-F-E-R brains at Google. And uh, that's my email. Living large and hard. Use Messenger on Facebook. DM. Living large and hard on Instagram. So in part one was the boat trip to the Skelligs. And now that was a... uh, That was someone else piloting the boat. The next two are going to be about boats that we piloted ourselves. Danny Boy on the cabin cruiser, me in a converted barge. And the way these things work, they, uh, you hook it up, they take you and they say, do this, do that, do the other thing. And then they give you 15 minutes to see if you're going to crash it immediately. You're going to crash it when you're out there. So if you don't crash it immediately, they let you go for a week or two or whatever the hell you, uh, signed up for. So it's, um, it's a constant learning experience. And uh, we were on the Shannon on the cabin cruiser, the, the River Shannon, which if you know of Ireland at all, you've probably heard of. And the way these things worked, both with the cabin cruiser and with the barge, is that you go through locks. And what locks do is they eliminate areas of rapids like um with the barge trip we would go in the river and once we left the grand canal we would go into the river barrow for a time and then pop out to avoid a bad stretch and go into a lock and that's the way it here is here in the lehigh valley with the locks which were built about the same time as back then 200 250 years ago now the ones on the shannon There was a big metal control panel, and uh, there was a chip card, which was very exotic back in 1998, at least. Coming from this country, where they've only just now become even relatively um, not uncommon. And so you pop the chip card in, and then there was a big pictogram with buttons. So what you have to do is raise or lower the water level, open or close the doors, to get the boat in, out, all that good stuff. So let's say you're going upriver and the water is going to be higher, but the, but the lock is closed. 
and the water in the lock is high. So I would have to get off the boat, go up to, walk up to the uh, control panel, and then I would have to pump the water out, uh, let the water out actually, is what you do, you wouldn't pump it out. It was all fed by the force of gravity and the force of water. Very economical that way. And so I'd have to let the water out, and then the boat could cruise on in. Then you have to close the gate. Then you have to open this. It's called the sluice at the front. Let the water in. The boat raises up. While the boat's going up and down, the people on the boat have to make sure that the ropes don't get snagged. If you snag a boat, a snag a boat. <laughs> if you snag a rope while it's going down, you will snag your boat. And you can uh, uh, possibly leave the boat dangling on the side of the lock. And, uh, you know, I'm sure as you already visualized in that nice long break there, not a good thing. Uh, then the water comes in, and then you open the front, and then me being the lock tender, I either jump on or... You know, if the water is being let down, if you're going downriver and it's going to be lower, then I would have to remember to grab the chip out and walk down and jump on the boat down there. So it may sound tedious, but it's, it's, yeah, I don't know, it was very interesting. You could really never go fast. The boats didn't go fast, uh, especially in the canal, in the Grand Canal. You'd push the throttle forward and go, and it would just make a bigger... There wasn't that much water, so it would just make a bigger wave in front, and you really wouldn't go faster than a brisk walk or a jog. You'd just waste a lot of fuel. And the point of taking this trip is I'd been to Ireland many, many times at this point, and I went a few more times, seven in total. The point wasn't to do it quickly. There's not a lot of tourist stuff off, the, off any of the waterways. It's more to get into these little towns and things and uh, take your time and just enjoy being in Ireland and the, and the scenery and, and stuff like that. So that's how all that stuff works. Now, the boat itself was a cabin cruiser. Um, I'm sure you've seen cabin cruisers, but this one, pretty typical for a rental one. Um, there was a center section called the saloon living room with seating in the, uh, the cockpit, tee and that part opened there was a couple latches you'd flip and you could crank it open now it was really cool when it was open and it was also really wet because every time we opened it it would rain every single fucking time um in the front there was a uh which i believe is called the prow i don't know and two little narrow beds like for me to roll over and not fall out i would have to wake up and then there was a, a regular, I guess, full-size bed. There was a little bathroom with a little sink with a handheld shower, uh, drain in the middle. So basically the whole room was a shower. And what I did, I don't know what the other ones did, I would fill the little sink with soapy water and soap up and then use the handheld uh, shower wand to rinse off. Uh, the toilet was what's called a sea toilet. And you would flip a valve after you did your business and pump it out. And then you'd flip the valve the other way and pump it again. And it would pump the river water in. So you'd have little sticks 
<laughs> it was the very brown water because of the peat, P-E-A-T, which is decomposed vegetable matter. Um, so you have this brown water, you know, going out and going in. But when it came in, it would have little sticks and stuff in it. Um, depending on your diet, probably on the way out, it didn't have more sticks in it. So that was a little uh, tube. There was a two burner, a very small refrigerator that I remembered to shut off every time because I was very, remember this is 1998, no cell phones, uh, especially not internationally. And um, I was very worried that if we left the refrigerator on, that we wouldn't be able to start the boat. And again, no cell phones. Um, depending on where that was, could be the middle of nowhere. You have to fucking walk to get to a pub, to get to a phone, to call, to have them come out and uh, repair the boat. So most of the time was spent cruising because, like I said, you weren't going fast and you had to work the locks, which if you had to go through the whole rigmarole of closing a lock, changing the water level, opening the lock, putting the boat in, changing the water level, opening the other end, that could take, I could take, you know, some of those things were like 18 feet of drop. Most were not that big. But that could take 20 minutes easy. Um, so, I mean, you really weren't, it spent a lot of the time just going from place to place. And then you'd go to town, you'd go to the, go to the pub to eat. We had a few things um, on the boat. We usually didn't eat on the boat. We'd go into town, get something from the chipper, take it back. Um, so there's that. Um, there was a time we were cruising through the river, but it was very reedy. So it was like going through a vast, vast field of tall, dead grass. And you could see other boats meandering through this. There, was, uh, there were markers. And you kept, I think it was, you kept the white side to your right side and then kept the black side to your left side as you went through these things. So you're going through, because that's where the channel is, otherwise you might get um, stuck. So you'd see these other boats, but you'd only see the tops of the boats, like our saloon section, cruising through. And that was pretty cool. Another time we went um, past a golf course and... The golf course was just a little, it was about eye level, maybe a little higher. So we're cruising through. We definitely, there's a bit of sun at that point. So we opened the roof and we were cruising through this golf course in our boat while people are putting, you know, and, and shit like that. So that was cool. And immediately it started, yeah, you guessed it, raining. Um, the only time I've been in Northern Ireland... Uh, basically because there was enough to do in the Republic. Uh, and also because they use different money. So you'd have to exchange your money not once but twice and then exchange back whatever you had left. Like say you went to Ireland and back in the day before they went on the euro, well, it's irrelevant. If it was euro or the Irish punts, if you went to the north, you'd have to convert the pound sterling. And then any extra pound sterling, you convert it back and then you convert it back to dollars. So you really lost a lot. And um, everything I was interested in was, was in the Republic anyway. So the only time I was in Northern Ireland, the six occupied counties, um, I've been in the Republic where I've been north 
of Northern Ireland. There's a section in the upper, uh, the upper, Jesus Christ, up in the Northwest where you're actually farther north than parts of the Republic. Like in Michigan, if you're in the lower southeastern part of Michigan, like Detroit in the thumb section, you're actually north of Canada, which is counterintuitive. So same thing there in Ireland. But anyway, we were, uh, we were up there with the boat, figured why not take it on up, take it in. I believe that was about halfway the, of the journey as well. So it was a good place to go up, explore that, turn around, come back. There was a restaurant in the river on an island, on an island that was only big enough to hold the restaurant. And it had docks all around it. And by the time we got there, it was not open. It was too early. Uh, we didn't have any pound sterling anyway on us. So we just did it. We circled around, headed out, and moored for the night. Um, I got up early the next day, and it went for a walk. And it said there was a village. And I walked to where the village was supposed to be, and there was a couple of uh, stone huts. So not like on, not like on Skellig Michael, but uh, cottages, I guess you'd call them. The archetypal Irish cottage, a couple of those. And then I went down a road, and uh, there was a, a pretty cool cemetery there. And on my way down the road, I heard a motor scooter coming. So I kind of got off to the side of the road, stopped, looked. I could still hear it, but I wasn't getting any closer. So I didn't know what was up with that. Oh, also in the distance was a wind farm on a mountain. So, you know, the giant windmills, giant modern windmills turning slowly, which I guess a lot of birds aren't smart enough to get out of the way of, but they certainly look beautiful, especially on a, on a mountaintop like that and moss slowly turning away, creating green power. But I could not find this goddamn scooter. And I realized the sound was coming from below me. And what it turned out being was a bumblebee. It was that quiet. And uh, so I, I looked around there. It was on a bend in the river. There was the cemetery. Uh, it was me and the bee. And walking back, I was going through a rare wooded section because pretty much every tree had been cut down in Ireland uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So I'm in this uh, shady section and I see a dog coming at me, but it's a weird looking dog. And the closer it got, the more I became uh, worried that this was a rabid dog from the way it was moving. And it was not exactly the best place to be pinned by a rabid dog in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, like a, like a mile from the boat, which was miles from anywhere. And uh, I kind of slowed down and the dog slowed down and then the dog stood on its hind legs and I realized it wasn't a dog. It was a hare. It was a big ass rabbit. And hares are so big ass, not really big in the ass. Hares are so badass that what they do is if they sense danger, what they'll do is stand up and show the predator that, hey, I'm a hare. You're not going to fucking catch me, so don't worry about it. Don't even try. Fuck you. 
Whereas a rabbit will go, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, you know, and it's a little bunny nose wiggling, waggling, it'll hide and scrunch down and uh, as long as possible and to try to just disappear. Uh, so anyway, then I was like, oh cool, a hare. I hadn't, I'd seen them driving around in Ireland, but I'd never had one on the same road as me. So then I started moving towards it again and uh, it came, uh, it, like low jacked itself down and just turned and made its way. It didn't run away. It just showed me its ass. It's cute little bunny ass and uh, took off. There was a time, well, uh, on the boat, Danny Boy, I told you they had this 15 minute instructional thing. And Danny Boy, because I had driven two weeks, almost 1,700 miles in the first part of our vacation, that he was going to be the captain because I drove all that. So they take him out, they take us out, and he's not, Danny Boy's not inspiring confidence in the guy from the boat hire company. And I'm thinking, man, if I, there were issues, take it out, you go under a bridge, you turn around and come back upstream and then you put it against the dock, you dock it. The problem was getting it turned and getting it back up. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really happy that if I have to uh, captain the boat for a week on top of two weeks of driving, even though I did enjoy driving, which you heard in the cars section, it was when we had, when we had the cool car, the, the Peugeot, that all that. But anyway, I wasn't really happy with that. But Danny came through, got it sorted out. But there was another time, and we were going along, and we were cruising upriver and came to a bend. And it's weird because they drive on the left, and then it's the same thing here. Here we drive on the right, but when you're in a boat, you drive on the left, basically. There, you drive on the left, and then you reverse it. And you know what I mean? It's, so anyway, we're, we're cruising along, and we're going along this corner. That was all just me thinking out loud, which... I don't know. I guess that was a waste of time for everybody. Anyway, we're going along, and we come to this bend to the left, and this boat comes around, another cabin cruiser for hire. And there's this beautiful woman driving it. Absolutely stunning. So I'm there. Danny's got the... Oh, that's what it was, because the steering wheel's on the left in the boat, but it would be on the right in the car. And then in the U.S., it's flipped like we drive with the steering wheel and the car on the left and the boat on the right. Why the fuck that is? I don't know. So anyway, Danny's on my left. Boat comes by on her left. Beautiful woman driving it. So I'm looking at her, looking past Danny. And I realize Danny boy's looking at the woman too. Which is a problem because he's in charge of the boat. Crunch. We get grounded. A little bit of panic ensues, um, a lot of, you know, ripping the throttle forward, backward, all that kind of stuff, and I just, yeah, just calm down. Um, there's a pike on board, which is a, a long pole with a hook on it, so I took the pike back there, bounced the boat up and down. Every time I bounced it up, I would have him hit reverse. Uh, got second 
Mrs. X living large and hard back there with me on the back of the boat as well. And then we bounced it up and down. I pushed with the pike. And that didn't seem to work. So I was getting ready to shed most of my clothing and get in and see if we could push the fucking thing off. But after uh, repeated attempts, it finally came off. And we ran our way. Uh, it was a great trip. Great way. It's a If you've been to Ireland many times, it's a great way to see like the unseen part. And you're in non-tourist areas, like I said, so the people are much more much more talkative, um, especially with the barge, which is part three. When I had the barge and was taking it through town, if there was a guy anywhere near the lock when we are going through, he, he wanted to know everything about it. How much did it cost? Uh, how's this work? How's that work? Great conversation starter. And a great way. God, that week, that week seemed to take forever in a great way because every day was full of slow movement, full of discovery, things like that. Anyway, this is part two of Memories of Island Boats coming to you from the skybox, high above Route 309 here in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, throw a link to a friend if you'd think they'd like it because that's the only way they're going to listen to it. If you tell them about it, they're not going to. And as always, now that we're getting the fuck out of here, let's listen to some traffic, huh? <laughs>